so I want to be an activist, but I'm kind of a slacker. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's where slacktivist comes from. Yo, welcome to Super Crusher, your crush-worthy dose of influencer hacks, mindset shifts, business tricks, and candy-flavored makeout sessions hosted by yours truly, Belle. Today's episode is brought to you by Vision Akash Build a Course Toolkit, a complete 80-day training that shows you how to become an influencer with a course-based business. To get started, check out our free training at supercrush.social forward slash three. I just did this intro like 40 times. Hey, welcome to Super Crush. Our Annabelle here coming to you from the super tiny Super Crush HQ in Paris. And today I'm talking to the lovely Ellis Hepburn, who is just one of my favorite people and artists. And it's such a fun talk. I can't wait for you to hear it. She is a, a Savannah College of Art and Design professor, an admitted Francophile. She's a textile designer. She calls herself a pattern seeker. She is a colorist, and I call her just a hot Californian. And we go deep on our muses, inspiration. We talk about our favorite subconscious rewiring techniques in this conversation, serendipitous acts, of course, um, super crushing and forts. Yeah. Um, and how to become a slacktivist. And we also talk about her last big project which was so amazing i've seen it in person look at rumpelstiltskin she sewed paper together for 35 days with gold thread in a fascinating project inspired by and as large as picasso's guernica this conversation is crazy magic i think you're really gonna love it and love ellis as much as i do all right here we go i'm pressing it i'm fucking pressing it Okay, do it. Do it, girl. Oh my God. <laughs> that was that was a lot. <laughs> just pretend that no one's ever gonna hear this and this is just one of our normal 10 hour conversations. Right. Okay, cool. I'm down. <laughs> so but let's just start by like kind of getting your story and tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, wow. Well, you know, I I kind of grew up like sort of between uh, the South, meaning like like uh, South Carolina and Georgia, and then also spending part of the year in Pennsylvania, where you know, like I went to school and um, where I grew up. And I I grew up in a really creative household. My mother is also a designer, and so you know, there were always like beautiful things around me, and she was always kind of peripherally showing me what the world kind of was like. And um, when I was in high school, I I went to I had kind of maxed out on all the AP art classes that you could take. And so I ended up going to Carnegie Mellon for a summer when I was in high school. And that kind of like opened my eyes to, to really being like a, um, like a true creative and having like a, an, like a world around me where everything is sort of possible through the lens of creativity and art and, um, seeing it through that, that like the lens of making things beautiful. So that's kind of like where I feel like I can't, like I come from, I come from a place where, you know, I'm really trying to live my life in a way that's really about very directed creativity and having something to say, you know, I feel like that's kind of my purpose is to figure out how to say things in a way that's engaging and inspiring and interesting to other people that that kind of brings them to that same place where I am. Is that a good, is that yeah, a good I'm, intro? <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually just looking at my notes right now and I'm like slacktivist. <laughs> What's a slacktivist? <laughs> what is a slacktivist? I love that word. <laughs> I made it up. Let's because, talk about your slacktivism. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, um, yeah. So I don't know, maybe maybe eight years ago, I got really interested after a long camping trip of like, you know, you pack in your food and then you pack it out. I was kind of floored by how much garbage we made as a foursome. And as we were packing out the garbage, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is disgusting, right? And so this was before it was chic to be eco 
eco geeko and to be kind of aware <laughs> of what you're doing, you know. And I um I was just completely grossed out by the amount of consumerism that I had to participate in before I was going on this sort of natural uh, nature hike thing, you know, where we were gone for a couple of days and whatever. So um, I got really interested in figuring out how to live zero waste and how to leave no footprint. And I made my family go on this journey with me and they were, you know, thankfully my kids were younger and um, they didn't have a lot of authority to say what they thought about my adventure. But, you know, it was like we really lived trying to make no garbage. And I remember calling the city and saying, yeah, we don't need these garbage cans anymore because we're not going to make any garbage. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, yeah, good luck with that, you know. So yeah. what I did, my slacktivism is that, you know, I got really interested in trying to figure out I don't want to be part of this problem. I want to be part of the solution. And I realized that as we were living, you know, sort of zero waste and really um, in a way that I thought was fantastic, but wasn't very convenient, um, I started to figure out that, you know, this lifestyle is, is really great if you have a lot of money and you have a lot of time and you can figure out all these ways around it, that to get to the source of the problem, I needed to look up the, up the chain and it it took me to kind of getting into politics. And I don't mean actively participating in politics, but I would go to hearings. I would go to these like meetups where the American Chemistry Council would would come and talk about plastic. And it was like, wow, this is crazy. We have no agency over how much stuff we consume or create because that's just how we get it, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so I want to be an activist but I'm kind of a slacker. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's where slacktivist comes from. You know, that was my thing is that I just realized like we can do all of this work to be as, as um, zero waste as we want, but it doesn't do anything because where the stuff is coming from in order to get those things, we have to participate in this consumer right. culture. Even if you do it like really to a grand scale, like bulk living and, you know, trying to like, you know, make your own ketchup and stuff like that. You just, there's some things you just cannot get. Yeah. So yeah. that kicked it up to sort of getting into politics and, and understanding how lobbying works and understanding how, you know, who's got, who's got investment in us continuing to live this way. And I just didn't have the power to fight it. So I became a slacker about it. But what happened in the, in the process of that selectivism is that I did get really involved in observing politics and that's kind of where I am now. So it's like finding my creativity and my voice and then merging it with politics is kind of the intersection where I find myself right now. Um, I've just seen some of your work in person, which was like so fucking cool. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Thank but you. let's rewind for a second and just talk about our, our story, how we met, which I, 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 it's so bizarre. And I almost feel like I've always known you. It's weird mm -hmm. because I was like, wait, how did we meet, meet exactly? So you can actually tell the story of, of how you found me if, if you yes. want to. Okay. I, I will tell the story because that's how this all originated, right? So um, we have sort of mutual friends, but your mutual friend isn't actually my mutual friend. It's a friend of one of my best friends who I consider like my, my soul sister. Um, she lives in San Francisco and she grew up very closely with one of your friends. And it was through, it was through Jessica that, um, and I don't know if you worked with her or how you guys know each other, but she was tipped off that my friend Liz was like um, new through Jessica to to talk to you about getting a painting because you were doing paintings that I think at the time they rewire your subconscious or they put yes. into your subconscious what it is that you're supposed to be thinking about. And I remember Liz calling me because we only talked about, I don't know, 25 times a day. And she would say, oh, my God, I just talked to this girl. You would totally love her. She's doing these paintings and they rewire your subconscious. And um, she had had a long conversation with you. It sounded like kind of an intake of yeah. what her belief system was and mm -hmm. where she was in her life. And she was pretty much floored after talking to you at how intuitive you really? were. Yes. Wow. And she, it was really it like, it like rung a bell for me, like ding, 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 ding. Because, um, 
you know, that was, that is something that also intrigues me. And even though I didn't have the language to say that that's what I do, because it's not what I do. Um, that was something that really intrigued me. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to see this painting. And then when it arrived, I was like, I I was floored. I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, what anybody else thought around it, but I was like so attached to that painting. And every time I go back to Liz's house, I still look around, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's something new to see the more that I get to know you. And um, so I, th- I think that that was our initial meeting. And then, you know, I, I don't remember around the timing, but I feel like Instagram was just kind of more of a new thing. Yeah, this, this had might- to be like 10 years, almost, well, maybe like eight years ago or I was, something. I was I've been on the like grid like ever since. Six or seven. Okay, yeah, so it was for probably sure. Probably like around, oh, I know when it was. It was 2011 or maybe 2010. So yeah. that's like almost 10 years ago. Holy shit. Okay. Which is crazy, right? Because I yeah. think of Instagram as like happening, I don't know, like 20 minutes ago. Yeah. Um, well, Instagram didn't really start getting going until like 2012. Mm-hmm. So, and that's right. Like I, that's kind of right when I was just like, okay, I'm like going to go get in the, get in the um, flow. Lotus position actually, yeah. <laughs> like go off of the internet because at that point I had already like had my viral projects and I was already burnt out, right. you know, before this whole new thing started. So, right. um, so yeah, that's when I went kind of off Instagram or, you know, didn't really go on. Anyway, what's right. the so point was, is. <laughs> yeah. Around that time though, I started looking at what you were doing and I just immediately felt like, oh, I get you. And I, I think you would, you would, you know, we could connect if you knew me, <laughs> you know? And so I think that's why, like, I was always liking things that you were doing and like, they resonated really strongly with me. And then at one point we just started chatting kind of like, oh. You know, and it was around, um, gosh, it must have been like four or five years ago. I started, I started going to France more often um, for work, and then eventually, I'm also a professor, so I would teach part of the year in the south of France, and that's when I really felt like I was kind of there. And that's probably when you started seeing my images because I, I was, I was probably not as far away. And then it was just this year that we really started to like talk and um, and connect more fully. And just get into it. Yeah, right. Yeah. And as as it would happen, um, right after we started talking and I was in Paris and you were in Santa Cruz, mm-hmm. I randomly ended up being in Santa Cruz. And so that's how I was able to um come to Ellis's studio at the Wrigley building. Is yeah. that right? And yeah. is it still called the Wrigley building? They call it the old Wrigley building because the it old is, Wrigley building. yeah, that's where they actually used to make the gum. I think until, I yeah. don't know, it hasn't been uh, the, the gum factory for a long time, but I kind of love that as a metaphor, like for where I work, because I'm constantly like <laughs> chewing on chewing. Things. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's actually a good, um, yeah, it's a good metaphor for, for, for being there, you know, and I, and the building is very cool. It has an interesting yeah, vibe. It's about definitely it. very interesting building. And your yeah. studio is like a d- dream come true yeah. <laughs> for any painter. It's bigger than artist. my first house. <laughs> oh my God. Amazing. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. So, well, actually let's go back to your SCAD stuff. So mm-hmm. that's, that's really interesting to me. And you said you're going to be um, coming to France again this year. This spring, maybe? Yeah, that's my, that's my um, plan. I mean, I, I've been asked to go back and uh, it hasn't formalized yet, but I, I would expect that I'll be teaching there this spring. And um, so I'll be there, you know, like sort of April, May, June, um, which it's just, it, I have to say that teaching is really um, one of the most fulfilling things that I do because mm-hmm. I think of myself as a, you know, as a perpetual student in some ways, because, you know, if you're not learning, I think you just kind of get, I don't know, you just get sort of uninspired, but being around the students and having that raw energy and feeling like you can help direct it a little bit just through the, through talking about your experience, you know, uh, is incredible. And just this week, I've had such good, like, conversations with former students, you know, they still keep in touch. And that is, to me, that's like, incredibly rewarding, because 
then you feel like you've truly connected with someone. And, um, you know, part of, part of what I try to do with teaching is stay really current and relevant in my own work, because then it gives us a point where we can connect, you know, so the students aren't looking at me, hopefully, um, as someone who kind of has done that, but I'm actively doing it. And so I can speak to like, this is what it's like when I'm with clients and they have a more real time sense of what's happening. And I think that, um, I think that's really important. And that's what I would want if I were a student and like as a student of life, I want to hear, I want to kind of go to the source and find out, well, what's that like when that happens or what's it like to be rejected, you know, or what does it feel like when you have a success? Because I can speak to it in pretty much like, because it just has happened to me on, on both ends of that spectrum and all the way through the middle. So, um, you know, is it textile? Does oh, sorry. No, no, that's <laughs> fine. It's I teach, so I'm in the fibers department. Okay, and that's part of the school of fashion. And um, you know, fibers is is an interesting discipline because it has kind of both ends of making. So, like, you can have it be super conceptual, and you can kind of go the route of like Sheila Hicks, and you know, thinking about like how to make things that are, that are telling stories that have, you know, reference to vernacular that you're talking about. Um, you know, like I use metaphor a lot. That's kind of my thing. Or you can go the completely opposite direction and you can be in construction. So you can really be thinking about like weaving and surface design and, you know, kind of the real structural stuff that comes with textiles Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can also like, it just, it's such a diverse department. And I think that's why I'm attracted to it because it kind of activates all parts of my brain. Um, especially through like the lens of collaboration, because, you know, we'll work with, with say someone in the fashion department and it's like, well, how can we, how can we get that vision to translate through fabric? And, you know, fabric is, I mean, not to sound corny like the commercial, but it really is the fabric of our lives because, you know, (laughs) it's like you're wearing it, you're touching it, you're feeling it, it's holding things, you know, it's, it has like such a humongous history. So it's such a beautiful, um, modality to work with. I just, it's incredible and it's so vast and it just, it fills me up when I think about it because I just realized that I can have a whole life of working with it lifetime and there's still going to be more. I'm never going to be able to cover everything, you know, because we work with like natural dye. We work with needlework. Um, we do screen printing. There's so many different like technical aspects to it, which is, you know, it can ring the bell of someone who's more scientific or who is um, more painterly. It just kind of, it's so broad spectrum that that's, that's what it is that that gets me excited about it and jazzed and super pumped to just work with it all the, all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I get that. Yeah. So you talked about your, um, clients. I mean, I've seen your kind of fine art pieces. Mm -hmm. Do you, do do you work with people in any other ways, like in their homes or anything like that in terms of textiles and color? Oh, you do. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. So, I mean, one of the things that I've done, you know, I work a lot with color and um, mm-hmm. the application of color on fiber, which like, what is it? What the heck is that? Well, you know, it, it's like, let's say that you're making, um, you want to make blue fabric, right? Well, if you put it on, if you put that, that color blue on say like wool versus on silk or versus on cotton or on a, you know, like a man-made material, they all look different, right? So you right. get all these crazy yeah. different shades of a color and so what you have to do is you have to kind of modify that so that it looks like what you want it to look like. And so I have worked as like a colorist um, and I work for, uh, you know, like a rug line and they, they give me all these different samples that I like dump on the floor of what the wool colors look like. And then I help them put together basically their color spectrum so that they have an Ooh. idea yeah, of oh my what, God, that's what so it cool. would look like. So, wow. you know, I take all these different components that are like, li- they're like little wool palms or they can be little cotton palms or little silk palms. And we take their designs and then we kind of like, I put them together in little groupings so that what we do is we can start to create the product. And 
that's a really fun application because I feel like I'm getting to use the right side of my brain, which is super creative and is looking for the nuance between color and texture and value. And what do these all like kind of come together as? And I get to use the scientific part of my brain, which is like, oh, well, if this one is bright and I want to create shadow, then I should darken this. You know, you kind of get to play around with that. But then there's also the commercial aspect of like, oh, these colors are going to sell really well, or this, this is going to look amazing mm-hmm. in this way. So I do, I do commercial work. Um, and I have for years, but I feel like at this point in my life, kind of thinking about my own personal work, you know, I'm kind of at that like fun age where I've had, I've had some degree of success in my commercial life and working. And now I really am interested in kind of embracing the more um the side of my creative life that is really more maybe in tune with what I feel like my purpose is and you know getting into the stuff where it's like this is really what I have to say about my experience you know one of the things that I say to my students all the time is you know the the only thing that I'm truly an expert at is my own experience Mm -hmm. and through art making and through doing things Um, I get to use that voice. And when I'm saying something for good or for bad or political or whatever it is, the topic, if I can be in a space where I can connect with someone when they see my work or when I'm talking about my work or when they're experiencing it, to me, that's, that's what I want to focus on for the next, like, say, decade, you know, because as, as this, um, as this decade is winding down, I'm thinking a lot about like, okay, well, what am I going to do for 2020? You know, I'm at a different age. I'm at a different place in my life. And now I feel like I almost get to start over again in a way that's going to feel more authentic and feel really exciting, um, about finding my voice and using my voice in a different way. Well, you call yourself a pattern seeker and knowing that you're in France a lot, like where do you find your patterns in France? I'm just curious. Like, do you go to the flea market? Like, do you go for your inspiration and that kind of stuff? Like when I was at your studio, I noticed you had lots of French things that I Mm -hmm. actually have in my own apartment. (laughs) Little Because I like, I like, I'm a collector of ephemera. If I go Mm -hmm. to a restaurant I'll take the matches, I'll take the the cards or whatever mm-hmm. and the and that's part of my like programming. Mm-hmm. You know, I I put that stuff I love around me mm-hmm. and a lot of times it's paper and I feel like in this digital world yeah. I am so disconnected from paper and that's why it's so interesting to talk about this sort of stuck stuff like actual textiles because I feel like that is a place that we have somehow started to disconnect from mm-hmm. very quickly in this digital age. So where do you kind of find your tactile inspiration? Mm-hmm. I Specifically mean, in France, though. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. We're both like crazy Francophiles. <laughs> That's like one reason that we get talking and we just can't stop because it's like so many stories. Totally. Well, you know, I, I wish that this sounded more glamorous. And I, I think you'll find it amusing that, you know, generally what I do is – you know, I love trends and I love seeing what people are doing in the moment. And I'm not talking about the trends that are kind of expensive and like that you can buy into like, oh, I want to have a Goyard bag or, you know, whatever. Like those to me seem kind of trendy, but they're, they're different. The ones that I'm interested in are like, what are people doing right now in this moment, like that I can connect to in a way that feels really authentic? And one of the ways that I do that, I love advertising and I love paper. You know, my um, my undergraduate degree is in graphic design. And originally, I didn't think I would, I mean, I wanted to go into textiles because I thought, oh, I want to design like wallpaper and sheets and I want to do these like big patterns. And I, I eventually saw where they could grow into like almost like installation, like pattern installation kind of things. Um, but I... Um, I started in graphic design because that seemed like the most logical place to go, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's like, yeah. oh, you know, I mean, at the time, Photoshop was like not quite really up to speed. <laughs> so yeah. you know, that was like cutting edge. And and it, I mean, of course, now it's a tool that we use all the time. But at the time, that was not a tool. You had to do everything kind of by hand. And so um, I think having that graphic design underpinning has always taken me to a place where I want to look at type 
I want to look at fonts. I want to look at, mm. you know, what are people doing with the basics that make it kind of interesting? So when I'm in France, I like to just walk at night and I like to, I, I like to walk everywhere. You know, it is nothing for me to do like a Strava in Paris and see that I've walked like 16 miles in a day, you know, which is, <laughs> it's insane. Right. But that's why I love Paris because I that. my yeah, eyes yeah. are constantly like yes. finding something new. And I can do this in pretty much any city, but I, I love Paris particularly. And I love, I love new places because it's stuff I haven't seen. And I'm sort of a visual, um, I get, I get starved visually when I stay somewhere too long and then I have to change my surroundings. So yeah. when I'm in Paris, I love looking at all of the advertisements that are like, you know, up on the walls, like the ones that they like paper up, like they kind of wallpaper up those huge mm-hmm. ads. And I basically go around at night and I rip them down. So I like <laughs> am stealing ads. And, you know, in the last few years, uh, it's been like the political stuff, you know? So um, because to me, that feels really kind of of the moment, mm-hmm. um, you know, hearing like what people are thinking, they're so crazy, like Marine Le Pen. I mean, she drives me absolutely bonkers. But like, <laughs> when I would see her ads, I would take them down and I would just steal them. And I would roll them up and my hotel room looks like the dump. I mean, there's like <laughs> stacks of paper and little corners and shreds and like, I mean, my husband is like, are you a hamster? I don't know. I mean, (laughs) maybe, you know, but I love, I love the visual of that though. (laughs) It's probably like the same experience that my landlord is having in Paris right now when she walked in to like fix something and was like, what the fuck? Are you painting on the walls? (laughs) I kind of was like, well, heads up, like there's an art project going on in my apartment right now. And yes, um, uh, just so you know, yeah, she texted me back and she was like, gorgeous. <laughs> so I guess that means I'm not evicted. I don't know. We'll see when I get back there. Yeah. But, I did not uh, let yeah. housekeeping into my hotel room. I'm like, no, I I'm think, good. I think I'm we're good. on the same page. But that's when you know it's like the real thing. That's yeah. when you know it's like, it's serious. Like if you're looking for your voice, look no further. Like, <laughs> yes. Um, what you do. I have to tell you, I was, you know, one of the things that I do at the end of the quarter for my students, you know, is I, I read through their, um, their sketchbooks, right? And, you know, they have all these beautiful drawings and little snippets of things. And one of my students had drawn um, me ripping a an ad off the wall. Uh <laughs> I was like, oh, I got to photograph that, you know, because it was so funny to me. And I I think that, you know, but, but taking it in that moment, I mean, you know, they, they're, they're stacked. So they're, when they stack the papers on top of each other, they like keep gluing them and then like pushing them up. You know, I don't know if you remember the old um, Pink Panther, like intro, you know, from the seventies, he like has a broom and they like wallpaper up and then Panther, you know, like pushes it up with the broom. So that's, that's what I see like in my mind. And, you know, those, those papers get so thick that they can be like an inch and a half. So when I rip them down, I can actually sit in my studio, you know, six months later and like pull those papers apart. And it's, it's like archeology. span And that's so cool. I love that part because it's kind of the unraveling of what Mm -hmm. is underneath there. So I, I mean, I might be attracted to the thing on top, but, but what kind of unearths itself underneath is way more interesting most oftentimes, you know? So I wish I could do that with my paintings. Like Mm -hmm. my paintings have so many underpaintings. I mean, Mm -hmm. thousands, you know, and I've never documented every layer. I've been very, I've actually never felt compelled to do that up until this point because the mystery I felt was so powerful. Just like my paintings, I consider that programming and so are the papers, you know, so is all this stuff. It's all just like code that is being read by our subconscious mind right? And going in there yeah. and we may not be conscious of it or we're not conscious of most of it actually, right. but, but that's, oh man, that's fascinating. Well, I'll tell you, this is another interesting thing. So I leave a lot of my work up to chance when I can. Um, and mostly that it's, it's out of kind of, I mean, I don't want to say that it's like some grand design, but I do, I kind of play a game with myself. Okay. It's like this. So a lot of my work now is done with paper. I've, I've kind of actually moved from some of the textile stuff into paper because I feel like when I am working with it, 
there's something um, sort of like it could it could go away. You know, these papers that I've saved, they're like little snippets or little moments or something like that. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll go into a bookstore and I'll buy a, like a French book, for example. I mostly work with French text because I don't necessarily understand all of French. You know, I took like five years and then I've kind of kept up with it a little bit on my own, but I, I'm a terrible French speaker. I can read it very well, but, and I can understand if other people are talking, but like, do not ask me a question because I go totally blank. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like I, the, the, the time when I speak the best French is actually when I'm in Mexico because I can't, <laughs> yeah, right. There's nobody French around and I feel very confident to speak yes, in another language yeah. and I'm tipped off that I should speak in another language, but I default to French because I don't speak any Spanish anyway. But so what I do is when I'm making a piece, I will go and buy a French book. And I, I generally don't understand what it's about. I don't read the French book first. I just kind of rip out all the pages and I use them. I sew them together with my sewing machine with gold thread. And I then, love that, by the yeah, way. I know. <laughs> yeah. Genius. And then um, what I do is I, I use that as the ground for my work, however I'm going to use it. And then at the end, when I'm finished with my piece, and I, I already have sort of a conceptual basis or I have a, a place where I'm jumping off from and that's what the work is about, then I go back and I read the French text to see if it relates in any way. And I have been amazed at how many times what I've mindlessly selected, I'm using little air quotes when I'm talking, um, just out of convenience, it's funny how often they actually sync up. So I kind of think that that is yep. in a strange yeah. way, my subconscious understanding something that I don't understand and just being like, okay, that's the book, you know? So that's when you know you're like onto something, yeah. you know? And in, in just in regular life, it's like when, when it's 333 or 1111 or when something's lining up or yes. when synchronicities start to happen, it's like, well, wait a sure, minute. That's the gold right there. That's the, that's what I'm always kind of after is trying to get to that place where, I'm in the synchronicity so much that it's like, oh my gosh, that just happened. And that just happened. Like, of, of course, because I need a lot of reminders, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm just one yeah. of those people who needs like constant reminders. Um, not, not that I'm forgetful, but I need reassurance is really what it is. They're not reminders, they're reassurance. And one of the ways that I get my reassurance is through these sort of serendipitous acts that happen around me. And I think that's what you're talking about. I, I call it maybe like in some ways serendipity, but I really think it is subconscious. Yeah. Well, and also it's like the language of the subconscious is symbols and signs. And th that language, though, is um, subtle. Yeah. So A, you have to be paying attention. Mm -hmm. And B, even if you are paying attention, it probably needs to repeat a bunch of times to be totally ridiculous until you're like, well, wait. Right. <laughs> like, I can't ignore this. <laughs> and speaking of that, I mean, that is basically what is fucking happening in my life right now. <laughs> I'm getting one obvious sign after another. I literally coded my entire apartment um, by painting on the walls and um, if any of you listening, I really haven't talked about my work, my painting in this in this podcast yet, but I basically am able to either predict the future or create the future. I'm not maybe a little bit of both. I'm not really sure how this actually happens, but it's sort of like what we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. And um, so to tell that story a little bit, um, I just mentioned the fort that I built in my apartment um, and... <laughs> I, speaking of super crushes, which we're not yet, but I guess I'll just jump right into it. To it. I predicted that, well, someone else actually predicted that I was going to, a super crush was going to come into my life. Mm -hmm. And right on time, he showed up <laughs> and he was not what I thought it was going to be at all. But I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like overheating right now as I'm, see what I mean? Like... <laughs> I, good Ellis this is that's the super and super crush. When, when we look when we come back and listen to this in the future after mm -hmm. we know like kind of what happens in yeah. the future because nobody has any idea right now mm -hmm. um this will be interesting yes but um <laughs> I think I 
Oh my God. I'm still having a hot flash. I don't even know if I can talk right now. What the, like, this is embarrassing. Wait, maybe I'm just going to take off this like cashmere blanket. (laughs) Wrapped around. Like wrapped it. I'm like swaddled right now. Um, Okay. Wait a minute. Let me just reel myself in for a second. So everybody knows by now, hopefully what this, my whole super crush theory is, which is basically you just use the energy of a crush and you use that in your business or in your work or in anything to amp it up and bring life force to it and make money and, you know, like get into that flow. And I feel like most people kind of shut this life force off. And of course, this is what artists use. They maybe wouldn't put it in this way, but this is the muse, that super crush energy. Mm -hmm. And So I recently have been doing my own little science project with super crushing because the super crush like came into my life. And of course, for you out there listening, we will, we'll see what happens with my life in the future. I don't really know. But um, do you remember your super crush, your first like super crush feeling or like when you started to like get that? Oh yeah, absolutely. 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 I mean, I remember in high school just being like floored by that energy and thinking, oh, this is like, this is what it's about, you know, because you only have that feeling either when you are super crushing, which I I will tell you just happened again to me recently. But even though, I mean, I'm married, it was a different kind of crush. Um, But uh, yeah, I absolutely remember that. And I remember kind of like chasing this guy around and wanting to take his photograph because even when I would see his photo, I was like, yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's, I, I definitely crush, I'm, I, I get them very like hard and they stay with me and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I can go right back to that place thinking about his hair. But, um, I got to tell you, okay, so this is crazy. He had the greatest, like, like, um, Lord Farquaad, um, blonde, <laughs> you know, it, like, it was like golden hair. And then I recently saw a picture of him and unfortunately, I mean, he is completely bald. Like there's not, Oh my God. Know, and it was Doesn't like, that always happen. It's uh, like, what? anyway, you know what? It's like the gift of the Magi. It was like the one thing that was like super attractive, you know, <laughs> it's like gone. So I don't know, but, um, I will tell you, so, you know, I, as, as you know, I've been working on this, on this big piece that I did last spring and it was, um, I mean, it's huge, you know, it's like 12 feet, really like big, yeah. feet. Yeah. yeah, it's big. And, um, I, it was around the time that A Star is Born came out, you know, and I, oh. um, okay, so just, <laughs> oh God, yes. let's go straight to Super Crush. Okay. So, um, you know, Bradley Cooper is adorable and, you know, so cute in the hangover and all that stuff. And I mean, people love him, you know, okay, great. But I am super crushing on him because I think that creatively speaking, I think he and I would probably, um, be really good friends because <laughs> I loved in that movie, there were so many moments that like resonated with me on like that, the like craziest way, like at the highest level. And I, while I was working on this project, it took me, so I did this whole piece in 30, like 37 days. And for like 36 of them, I watched the first 40 minutes of A Star is Born over and over and over. Like I sometimes watched it like four times a day. I'm guessing that's super weird behavior for other people, but I do the fucking same thing all the time. Okay. So I just, sorry, continue. No, no. I would just watch it like over and over and over again. And like to the point where, you know, I knew like the pregnant pauses. I knew where people sighed. I knew like when she was going to turn her head this way. Like, and I think that maybe only Bradley Cooper and I have examined that movie as much as each other, (laughs) because I felt like I could re-edit that film. But (sighs) you know what it is? It's like, (laughs) although I wouldn't change the thing because my super crush, Bradley Cooper, he did it perfect. If you're out there. Yeah. If you're out there (laughs) listening, you've got a huge fan in me. Good job. But mostly because, not because you have great hair and you know a cool scruffy beard and those pants were killer but because it was the intention I loved the attention to detail I loved the intention that he brought to that film I loved that it was a love story that was flawed but but what attracted me the most were two things one 
here's a guy who has a really great degree of success and sees in someone else this talent that I think needs to be supported. And he, I think he got a great, like his character, I mean, not him, but you know, I think that his character got this like great joy in, in helping her become seen. And Mm -hmm. I loved that moment where he like pulls her on stage and she's reluctant. It's like, that's a cute little love story for like a film, but I could totally see in my own self, like that's what I needed that movie to be. It was like, he was pulling me. And as I'm working, I'm like watching that over and over. And then there's this scene in the bar where, um, you know, he's talking about what it is to, to have talent and to know if you have something to say. And that is just to me, like that just spoke to me. And I needed Bradley Cooper in my ear, like four or five times a day saying, you'll never know if you don't try, you'll never know because that's kind of the ultimate, like that was, if you distilled it down, that's what it was. It's like, everybody's, everybody's talented. You know, you look around the bar, everybody's talented, but it's, do you have the talent plus the voice? And that was what I needed to hear over and over while I was making this piece because oh, interesting. I really yeah. felt like I did like, yeah, you know, I have the talent, I have the technical skill. I have I have the 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 creativity to do this, but am I saying something of value? And that's what I just needed him saying. You, you know, you you got value, girl. <laughs> so <laughs> so he was yeah he was definitely. This may be me. like my favorite super crush story <laughs> so far. Good because I, love that. <laughs> I mean that okay. So first of all, everybody knows that like the chemistry between those two in that movie was just like electric which is you know Mm -hmm. um did you oh my god the oscars was that the oscars that one performance when they did ridiculous i I just watched it on youtube but i was like (laughs) wait 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 yeah there is something happening here um yeah but that's the cool thing about super crushes because and and the energy it's like it doesn't have and this is what i'm reminding myself like it doesn't have to be like your soulmate the person who ends up being your partner forever it can it's your muse yes you know and as an artist we need our muse we need this yes. this is what like makes the shit happen yeah it's a driver yeah. it's an energy yeah. driver i think you know Oh man, I'm still overheated. I don't know if I really explained my <laughs> fort situation very well, but I, for those of you who also who don't know me, I'm like a master of fort making and I just make these like fucking awesome forts, like forts made out of whatever, like blankets, pillows, but mostly like sheets. And then I go fancy and like go just buy a bunch of giant fabrics and sew them together. And um, it's always pretty crazy. I just kind of use whatever I have around me, but I love forts. Forts are such an amazing kind of place to c- close yourself off and have like a s- sweat lodge. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're having a okay, sweat Okay, I'm having a sweat lodge right now. <laughs> I know. I've got my heater cranked, you know, in California. Oh my gosh, is, Ellis. Help, help me. Help me. What is going to happen? It is such a... I'm okay. I literally have just sweat through my. But don't by the way, he called. He called me today, wow. and I was on the phone for, with him for like just like five minutes. Mm-hmm. And when I hung up the phone, I literally had sweated through the shirt I was wearing, <laughs> and I looked in the mirror, and my face was flushed for like a half an hour. Like I even right now, as I'm talking about it, like yeah. this is freaking Kundalini. <laughs> like, People do lifetime spend lifetimes of Kundalini yoga to like get this sh- shit moving, <laughs> and it is just like busting out of me right now. It might be Bikram. I mean, <laughs> you know, you know, oh my gosh. you have to like kind of, yeah, you sort of like get that that heat, and it, it starts to get everything kind of like cranked up. It's, that's such a good feeling. It isn't whatever it is. It's like indigenous. Yeah, and you walk <laughs> out, and you're like, it's I look fabulous. I look like I just had the best facial ever. Uh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, so when an artist has like an amazing muse, like really, what else do you need? What else do you need? You know? Yeah. Well, I think you, and if it's Bradley Cooper, I mean, because I seriously watched that movie a few times and I was like, what? Okay. I mean, it's just when magic happens, it's just, you can't force it. Mm -hmm. You know, it just every, all that stuff has to kind of be aligned and like, you know, on every different level like we always talk about mm-hmm. um 
Definitely. Other Uh, timelines. That's, I mean, you know, talking about this, the piece that I was making, you know, I, um, I remember I sat down to write the proposal, which, you know, asked me how many proposals I've ever written. None. Um, (laughs) Because, because because proposals are the fucking worst. (laughs) Well, it's just like, I mean, a proposal to whom, you know, like to myself, I don't know what I was thinking, but I thought, well, if I, because it was so big, I was thinking, well, I'm gonna have to get another space. And then, you know, I probably should get a residency and I should probably do this. And there were all these like, should, should, should things. And I was feeling super constricted because like, I can't make this in my own studio. You know, it's 25 feet long by 12. Like I don't have that free wall. Um, so it was like, it was going to require jumping through some hoops to, to get all of that. But it was interesting because I was sitting writing the proposal and I was like, oh, I should check the dates on this. Cause I was basically remaking a piece that Picasso had done from, um, 1937 called Guernica, but I wanted to rework it in paper, um, and sew it for these modern political times that we find ourselves in, because I had been in Paris and saw all of the um, the exhibit at the um, Picasso Museum. And I was like, wow, these are strikingly familiar. And they remind me a lot of like our political climate. And so like, I had this thing going in my head, like, is this history repeating itself? And, um, you know, I think that what happened for me was my, my muse in a strange way became like, I don't know if it's synergy or um, whatever it was. It was this coincidence, this kind channeling. of channeling. Yes, <laughs> right. This divine yes. channeling, which I found out later. Um, yeah. You know, I just thought, oh, wow, it's so crazy that I'm writing this proposal on the exact day that Picasso started this piece. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, wow, that's a sign. Like, I am attuned to signs. I was like, wow, that's a sign. I should do it. So then I made a couple calls and I was able to get the space. And so, like, all the things that I felt like were blocking me you know, all of a sudden just kind of laid down, it became like, well, I have to, you know? Yeah. And that, that kind of energy, like once it's almost like you get some momentum and that puts you in a space where then your muse can kind of show up, you know, Mm -hmm. in a way because it was so available to me. And I think that was like when I, I almost feel like you started guiding me a bit through that process because I didn't, because my muse hadn't sort of shown up yet, which was, it it did. I mean, you know, my muse was in that particular was kind of confronting my own limitations and it became almost like running a marathon. Like, can I do this? Like, Oh, I think I can, you know? And then it became about like sort of proving it to myself. And that's why I needed Bradley Cooper in my ear saying, you know, you have a voice, you have something to say, you, you know, everybody's talented, but some people have the ability to say something important. And that became the driver. And, um, I mean, yeah. And so, you know, like on it, I mean, I don't know how I ended up on this tangent, but that is kind of when we were talking about muse, you know, that, that, um, drive, because if I have the drive, then, I feel like that's what gets me, that's what gets me going. And I was able to complete the project on the exact same timeline that Picasso had, which was, you know, like what? 35 days. Yeah. So I was, wow. I mean, I sewed. He made that fucking thing in 35 days. That's crazy. Yeah. And didn't he not want to make it? He didn't want to make it, right? Well, Am I right? I, my understanding, I, I mean, you know, I've, I've read uh, a lot about it, but, you know, he was, there was an exhibition in Paris um, that was happening. And so he knew he had a limited amount of time and he showed it, you know, so he started it um, basically in like, you know, he showed it in June or July. And so he started it kind of late April, I think. And, um, you know, it, it just kind of like took off and Dora Marr was the only person who actually photographed him working on it. And so like, you know, I had those photographs up and I, it just, I was so driven wow. to kind of copy that. So but, cool. I mean, by the end of sewing for 35 days, first of all, I blew out my machine. The thing was like smoking, you know, by the time I was finished, <laughs> like I had rolled yeah, through a few yeah. sewing machines and it was, cl- oh it gosh. was making such a clunky noise, but I actually kind of a- ended up damaging um, the, the muscle in my right eye temporarily. Oh my God. Yeah. I strained it from sewing so much because I mean, I would sew like around the clock, basically. It was like a weird, Rumpelstiltskin kind of like making gold in the closet. (laughs) True alchemy. Exactly. I was, I was trying to do it. So, you know, 
it became also like a little bit about proving, um, proving what that would look like or what that could be. But my intention was to just make it and then throw it away because I was doing this to basically get maybe a residency or maybe to, to, you know, put it on my website or whatever, you know, something like that. But that once the enormity of it hit me, I was like, wow, I got to really invest in this piece. And that's when you and I were talking and you were kind of saying, you know, like, hey, wait a minute, here's some other things you should be thinking about. And so I was able to pack in some of that work that you were mentioning to me. And that that actually became super interesting, you know, because the piece had like a completely new depth to it. Mm, you know, you were yeah, talking because, about like yeah. upstairs department and things like oh, that. Yeah, that's my upstairs department. <laughs> yeah, right. They're all here. They're all here. Mm-hmm. You know, and because in order to make yourself like ready in the timing of everything and get aligned with what is meant to come in, you do have to clear whatever is blocking it kind of out. And mm-hmm. clearing that stuff out takes time. And that's one thing that I think is really frustrating. It's like waiting for something, a broken bone to heal or something, like all the stuff. And even going through grief, it's just something you have to kind of process out. And that processing out takes time. And then and when you're in it, you think that it's never going to end, you know? Right. And I feel like right now I'm on that tipping point where I feel like I'm moving into this totally new space where like I've done the fucking work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now I want results, yep. you know, and I feel like I see those re- results starting to kind of come in and my muse is starting to show up. And I kind of feel like that's you're at that space too, where you're ready to mm-hmm. have a little bit of a louder voice, you know, yep. now that you know what it is that you're saying and what what you need to say. And Mm -hmm. that's so amazing. I also feel like I did the work, you know, it was like, I had to really kind of sequester myself for that month. And, um, just, you know, it's a, it's pretty lonely work, right? When you're really in the zone, I mean, you can't really be around other people because you're, you're sort of, you can't switch out. Yeah. Yeah. You're like working kind of around the clock. Your brain is sort of always ticking like, okay, this is, I got to think about this. And like, you know, I would write myself these lists at the end of the day, like, this is what I have to do tomorrow because I just had uh, so many things that were like coming up, like, okay, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And, you know, when you finish the work, you're like, first of all, you're completely spent, right? Because the mental exhaustion and like the physical part of it and just like making it happen. But I don't know if it's manifestation or whatever that happens next, but now it's like, I have this piece, I've, I've done the work and I'm ready for it to like, I'm ready to push it out into the world and let, let it be seen and let it happen. And, um, you know, really kind of let the second part of this take, take hold which is now it's got to, it's got to go and, and, um, and do the work, you know, cause like I did the work to make it and now it's going to do the communication work, right? Because it's going to be the tool to communicate what it is that I'm saying. So I have to now get it to a point where it's going to be seen and it's going to be out in the world and it's, it's ready to fly, you know? So it sounds like that's kind of what you're talking about too. It's ready to go to high school. Yep. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay, so on the other end of making this like incredible piece that I've personally seen um, and was so impressed by, first of all, it's like you have to have a ladder. I mean, it's gigantic. <laughs> it's gigantic. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Um, what self care routines do you feel like you have you've used? I mean, also because you live in Santa Cruz, which is mm-hmm. so – well, wait. Is Bonnie Dune technically also still Santa Cruz yeah, or is it like – technically a- it's the same zip code as Santa Cruz. Yeah. So, I mean, there's nothing up here really in in Bonnie Dune other than like, you know, redwoods and um, there's a lot of deer and there's, there's nice ocean views. But, I mean, it's pretty quiet, you know. So Santa Cruz. Did is- you Google the witch colony situation oh, that I told you? Yes. You mentioned that to me. Oh my gosh. I haven't researched it, but I we should definitely either. look into that. Yeah, yeah that should definitely <laughs> so happen cool. for sure. I'd be <laughs> so curious to know what that's all about. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, but Santa Cruz is like the closest, you know, I'm using air quotes again, civilization. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I definitely exercise, right? You know, because you just have to get like all that energy out of your body. Um, but the main thing that I did was I, I meditated a lot 
And I, um, I would just kind of try to be still and have, it was interesting, you know, and I didn't, I don't think I really did this consciously, but I had a lot of people come to me to support me that I, I guess I called in, um, on some other level. I didn't know that I was doing it, but I felt that that was the best care that I could get because people would show up right when I was emotionally spent or physically spent or, you know, I I was at a point where I couldn't make any progress. Like you would text me or, you know, one day I had this electrician show up um, because the where I was making the piece in the Wrigley building is um, kind of a, I mean, they store things there. And so there, you know, people would sort of pass through to get like the scissor lift or, you know, the electrician did stuff in there and they would, they also store other things. So, you know, I found that the electrician had a lot of great advice for me, <laughs> which is sort of great. So yeah. And I, I wasn't really sure because the work is political. I didn't, you know, I was really reluctant to have people come, come by and see it because you, you just don't know how it's going to be received. And, and when you're in the middle of making something, it kind of looks like crap anyway, you know, you're like, hang on, hang on. It's going to look great at the end. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's going to be great. Yeah. It's going to be great. <laughs> I swear. I swear. Just come back in like three weeks. Um, but you know, he turned out to be like an amazing gift. So I think wow. the self-care that I did, the, you know, was just staying super open so that other people could come and support me because I really didn't have a lot of time to care for myself. I mean, I did do some psyche. I think I mentioned that to you, which is like where you do some programming, um, some, some subconscious rewiring stuff through like you kind of repeat a mantra and, um, so I had um, I had this woman who was Skyping me regularly, Teresa Wiles, who was just amazing. And she was helping me and she would clear like, because the piece was a, re- a rework of Picasso's, you know, she would say to me like, look, there's a lot of energy already surrounding Picasso's piece. And that's kind of being transferred onto your piece. So she was mm-hmm. like constantly clearing that. You know, but the ritual for me, like daily, you know, that, that I care for myself is, you know, I go into my studio and I immediately like turn on my diffuser and I put in something like delicious that I think is going to create a really good atmosphere. You know, then I burn some Palo Santo just in case anything like came in under the door um, while I was gone to clear the space and feel really comfortable there. Um, And then, you know, usually I'll pull a card or two to kind of give me an intention for the day. And then I keep a, I keep a, a sketchbook and the thing is about, I don't know, it's probably about three or four inches thick and it probably weighs about 12 pounds. And <laughs> that I know, sounds it's, familiar. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, it is like the yeah. biggest sketchbook ever. I mean, oh my it's, gosh, that's awesome. yeah, it's gigantic. And so what I would do is each day I write, you know, I write the date at the top and then I write like what my cards were and I write down my intention. And then I also will kind of check in like what's happening in the world because I work with uh, like political themes, you know, I'll, I'll write like uh, Nancy Pelosi smacks down, you know, this reporter for saying this, you know, or whatever. Like I, I will generally kind of keep the news um, on the forefront because that sort of directs where what I'm thinking about for the day, you know, when I was making the the piece that's called Merica, which is the the rework of Guernica, um, I listened to like CNN and MSNBC and podcasts basically the entire time that I was working. Oh my god, that's nuts! <sighs> which let me <laughs> tell crazy. you, like if you want to torture shit. yourself, <laughs> it's like oh my gosh, listen to that. You know, so the the counterbalance was. Um, Bradley Cooper coming in and saying, you still have a voice, you know, that was like my aunt. Choir of yeah. angels. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> like, yes. I, I'm just saying like a Bradley Cooper head with wings. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, um, totally. And then, um, yeah, so he was like my antidote, you know, he was the, he was definitely the, the thing that saved me. Um, but I also had to sometimes just lay down on the floor and cry. And that yeah. was such a good release. And then I started doing breath work and that like blew my mind. That was the, that's like, if I were going to say that there's one thing that has changed, um, like kind of how I think about things and how, um, like when I'm like kind of at a, a breaking point or a point where I feel like, okay, I need to like just chill out breath work, um, 
is the key, I think, you know, so I've been to totally agree. Yeah, totally agree. Just yeah. a couple sessions where, you know, you're in a room full of other, other people and there's a lot of collective energy and you're breathing it out. And, you know, I usually spend the first few minutes like, um, crying. Uh, and it's like, you know, the, the tears are like puddling in my ears. <laughs> you know, cause they're just running down the side. <laughs> but then, like, then, you know, you start laughing or, you know, whatever it is. And that, and then when you're kind of integrating after breath work, you know, I feel like I get really good positive, like, uh, like, you know, it's just, I'm reminded of the things that I'm doing that are going right. right. You know, it's like, you've just kind of opened everything up. Yep. And so I hear yeah. things like, you know, you're super healthy and you're doing the right work and the work is important. And that those are like the things that I need to hear, you know, because I think because being an artist is kind of a solitary endeavor on some levels, you need to, you really need to stay reminded like, yes, this is relevant, you know, because you can go into a bit of a hole or one, I shouldn't say you, I mean, one can go into a bit of a hole where you're like, is this stuff any good? Is anybody going to like this? Like, am I just in my studio, like by myself thinking that this is really interesting? (laughs) You know, so you have to have some feedback. And I think that that's the kind of feedback that I need as I'm working to kind of bolster my, my um, self and my thoughts and just keep it like moving, keep the energy not stagnant in my body, you know? Oh my gosh. Everything you're saying is just amazing. <laughs> well, thank you. So well, you're welcome. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> we could probably talk for like 10 hours. We've yeah. already we've already been talking for one hour. So uh, what's your website? You know, my name, it's ellishepburn.com. Oh my God. I've never even seen your oh fucking gosh, website. What? what? You're what? so crazy. <laughs> How is that even possible? Um, I'm going to, I'm, I'm Googling oh you right gosh. now. I'm like, uh, this is ridiculous. Okay, I'm here. So if you want to um, go to Ellis Hepburn's <laughs> website, go to ellishepburn.com and we'll put, we'll also put that in the show notes. Well, that's amazing. This is, this is great. It's so funny that I haven't <laughs> found this yet. But Googling is the worst. My web presence right now, because I've been offline for mm-hmm. like eight years, is like I Googled myself the other day and I was like, oh my God, I literally found an archive of like thousands of pictures of myself, oh, like right. selfies that I took before <laughs> before cell phones. Yeah. Like I used to take selfies all the time before selfies yes. were even a thing. And I apparently they're all online <laughs> and I did not know. I totally forgot about all this stuff. And I so after Googling myself, I was like, what? Yeah. Because I feel like I've been like out of the world. And meanwhile, if you do some digging, you can actually find me. Oh, I remember those. Um, I mean, I remember those days from when you were like making music under a different name, you know, and sometimes I do get confused because you have so many different projects going on. I'm like, wait a minute, which email did this come from? <laughs> I have to remind myself like, wait, yeah, what? I know. I know. I'm I'm pulling it all together this, this year, though, because um, I've, you know, I've had like 20 years of four projects yeah. every year. So it's, it's been kind of crazy. So speaking of Psyche, which yeah. you actually mentioned that you use, and I've actually used myself, which is something I use. Have, it's been a tool in my toolbox for like probably since 2000 and maybe seven ish. There's like a series of things that you go through when you are like trying to change a belief, right? Cause we have all these beliefs that are sometimes true and sometimes untrue. And so if you can recognize that you need to switch one, what you do is you cross your feet and then you say the belief while you're holding your hands, like kind of together, you know, like all your fingers touching their, their equal partner. So you have like this kind of triangle pyramid thing with your fingers and you say your belief and you have to keep your eyes down because when your eyes are lowered, that's when you're actually able to get messages like into your brain more clearly. And then once you feel the shift of energy in your body, you like unravel and then you say, you say like kind of not a mantra, but you kind of repeat something so that that message like sinks in, right? Because the posture like opens yes. up the gatekeeper from your conscious and your subconscious mind. So it actually like whatever you're saying in your mind is able to get through, which is basically the same as like theta healing, because when you do that posture, it puts your brain mm-hmm. into theta. And when you're in theta, that's when what you can consciously actually reprogram mm-hmm. the brain. 
Um, so that is actually what I used. And, and then I automatically started making my doing Gretel print, which was my original like sound experiments, but I wanted to do them, those using Gretel print because I knew that like, I, I didn't want my real music to have the same name as, um, the Gretel print stuff. Cause that's like (laughs) lo-fi. I wasn't using any, um, anything, right? (laughs) Not even a microphone. All the sounds and all of those little sound experiment things I did, I used using the, the keys on my keyboard um, and stuff. So, yeah, that was like 10 years ago, dude. That was like – time yeah. is weird. <laughs> I can't believe so much time has gone by and it's taken me actually this long to even make real music, which I'm still in the process of working on. But That's around the time I think that I started following you because I remember some of your music from that time. And I definitely remember the name Gretel Prin. That – yeah. For sure. Yeah, those were the crappy. Uh, that was also like the lo-fi love songs where I just made crappy love songs for people, custom love songs. People still buy those. They're like $750 and people still will buy them. Um, anyway, thank you so much for this chat. You totally nailed this. <laughs> I have to tell you a funny thing. So the other night, you know, when you're in the integration, like during, um, during the um, breath work, they played they played one of the songs from A Star Is Born and I mean I burst out laughing so hard because I was like <laughs> Bradley Cooper shows up even in my like self care. <laughs> you know, I was freaking out. It was so funny to me. Oh my god. He's like your spirit animal. I know, I'm telling you, we're meant to be friends. Bradley and I, we have a lot in common when it comes to creativity. Guys, thank you so much for listening today. Go to supercrush.social forward slash Ellis for the show notes and or just go directly to ellishepburn.com. Um, if you want to build an online business, I suggest you use Kajabi. Kajabi is the best platform for marketing and for online course creation. And I have a, a link for a free 28, day, uh, 28 days of Kajabi if you want on the show notes page so just go to supercrush.social forward slash ellis and uh find all that good stuff anyway okay time for time for a coffee i'll talk to you guys later thanks for listening okay bye